Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. Thank you for your company. If you're new, this is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, or the way of St. James. James was one of Christ's apostles. He travelled to the Iberian Peninsula after Christ's death and fought alongside the locals against the Moor invaders. Upon returning to the Holy Land, he was killed by King Herod. James's body was taken back to Iberia and buried. The legend goes his remains were discovered in a field in Galicia hundreds of years later. A majestic cathedral was built in his honour and to house his remains. Santiago de Compostela is the destination for most pilgrims who walk the Camino de Santiago. It translates as St. James under a field of stars. The Camino is famous for its spiritual and mystical energy, and others have said to me it's just a brilliant thing to do. Some say the Camino follows the Earth's ley lines, the planet's energy axes. But whatever you believe, or for whatever reason you choose to do the Camino, and there are many Camino pilgrimages across Europe, do it your way. Do your research and your training. Do your reading and make sure you learn a thing or two about how to pack and what to take. Then let the Camino carry you. Let the experience be your guide. Phil Cousineau, the American writer and scholar, once wrote, Pilgrimage is a powerful metaphor for any journey with the purpose of finding something that matters deeply to the traveller. Well, my guest this week is a Canadian writer and poet, Roxy Edwards. Roxy's on the line from British Columbia. Welcome, Pilgrim. Welcome. Thank you very much. Now, let me begin by asking a simple question. Did you find what you were looking for on the Camino de Santiago? When I went on the Camino, I wasn't exactly sure what was driving me and what was leading me to take this trip. So I was pretty open to what might happen. Um, To say that I found what I was looking for, I I think I found um, a spiritual freedom and renewal on the the pilgrimage. Um, And then I found that it sort of unlocked my writing following the pilgrimage. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get to your writing in a moment because it's wonderful, it's really beautiful and it's it's the reason we're talking today. But let's take a step back. How did you first hear about the Camino de Santiago? Well, it was interesting because um, we live in a very small town on Vancouver Island and we don't have a movie theatre, so they were showing a movie at, at one of the local golf clubs and a friend from church had invited me to come and they said, oh, you'll love this show, it's about a man who... Um, whose son undertakes the Camino de Santiago, a pilgrimage in Spain, and then he dies, and so he does it in his place. And I'm thinking, hmm, it's not really sounds like my sort of thing. <laughs> and I found some excuse not to go. <laughs> and that, of course, was the way. Um, then a little while later, it was a stormy um, evening in the fall. My husband and I were watching TV. There was not much on, and this movie came on. And I thought, well, what... What, we may as well just watch this. And when I started to watch the show, I was totally captured by the idea of, of striking off an adventure, meeting people from all over the world. And what really caught my imagination about the movie was how a lot of people who um, may have started the, the journey for a lot of different reasons and without any um, religious background or leaning all found some sort of um, spiritual awakening through the process. After that, I started reading any book that I could find about it, and my interest just increased, increased to the point that I felt drawn to do it myself. Is it well known in Canada or British Columbia, the Camino, do you think? Um, Surprisingly, yes. Um, Because I'm from the Western from Canada, uh, we're about as far from the Camino as you can get, so you would think not. But um, the people who live in the area where I live, um, they're big walkers, hikers. Was, uh, the ecotourism is a big, big industry over there, here. So if for nothing other than a really good hike, um, you know, people seem to have this this bucket list that they're always working on. And there's so many people who are saying, well, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And, and this is one of the things that seems to be on that list. Tell us about the journey leading up to your first Camino. Um, there's a great story about you being in hospital 
and and open, oh, yeah. and opening a book. Tell us that story. Yeah. So, um, as I said, when I first, when I got the bug and I started to um, draw books from our library, our library is a, a, a island-wide library. You can get books from anywhere on the island. And so sometimes when you're drawing books, it can take a while to get to you because somebody else has it out in a different city. Sure. And so I was, um, one night in February, I got very, very sick. Um, ended up in hospital and found out that I had um, a gallbladder stone lodged in the neck of my gallbladder and I had to have emergency surgery. And I was recovering on the couch the next day and my husband says, a book has come in from your from, at the library for you. And I'm going, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I was still, still under the effects of the anesthesia. But I opened the book and it was um, the book that is... Uh, uh, I'm off by Haps Kirkling, yeah. and uh, when I opened the book, it said, I've just had my gallbladder removed, and I'm deaf in one ear. And there I was sitting on the couch recovering from gallbladder surgery, and I am deaf in one ear. <laughs> and that was like the last kick in the butt to get me going on this on this trip. How fantastic. And it was so yeah. And actually, it's funny. I met quite a few people who had read that book. I'm off by Hans Kirkling, and and it's a very yeah. humorous take on the whole um, Camino experience, isn't it? But it, you were still inspired to do it after reading it. I was, but I had read what the psychic told the pilgrim, which is a um, a book by another Canadian author, a female, um, and and that one uh, was the first one that I read that sort of drove me in this direction. This book, um, I'm off, is the one as I said was just like the the final of three signs I got that I should be doing this. Um, it's it's different. It's interesting to get everybody's different perspective on the Camino because, like you said in your opening, um, a lot people do it for a lot of different reasons. Some people uh, do it for spiritual reasons. Some people do it for health reasons. Some people just like to explore new countries. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get to that in a moment. Um, you you've. You've written a lot of poetry about your experience on the Camino and, indeed, you've written a book as well. I just wondered about your psyche, uh, and I've written a question here. Are poets deep thinkers, Roxy? I I don't know, you know, because when I write, it seems to just flow. Like, I remember as a child being told, you should always keep a pen and paper by your bed because you'll never know what will come to you. And and I'm very much that sort of person. I I find myself writing on napkins in restaurants. I find myself writing Mm. on the back of my shopping list in the middle of a store. So um, I tend to, as I experience things, words just seem to form themselves. So I, I don't know that I would call, especially my, I can't speak for other writers, but I, I wouldn't call myself a deep thinker. Yeah. Um, I have a, I have a, a sort of a gift of words that come to me. Yeah. How or when did you discover a love for poetry? Mm. I have um, written always. As a child, I, I kept journals. Um, in high school, I took every form of ling- English that I could. And um, when I was in um, university, I, I again went to the literary side. Um, I've always had a love of words, and I have a love of way a talented writer can paint a picture so that you can envision exactly what it is they're talking about. And it can take you places that you couldn't go otherwise. Did you read a lot when you were a child? Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm a voracious I'm a voracious reader. Um, one room in my house is pretty much a small library, and and I said I, I'm recently quasi retired, and I said my biggest fear about retirement was being able to ha- um, afford my reading habit. But there again, the library steps in. <laughs> You've had your grandchildren with you Christmas and New Year. Do you encourage them yeah. to read? Oh yeah, yeah. We don't go anywhere without books. That's great. That's great. We ought to have more of it, I think. 
Yeah, I, in fact, I have kept a lot of the books that belong to their their parents, uh, their their fathers as children, and and we were reading some of those just on this trip. Um, it's interesting because they're only six and eight years old, but um, we found ourselves at the Bug Zoo exploring the world of bugs, and then we found ourselves at the Royal Victoria Museum, and um, they. We, this is an annual trip for us. We've been doing it for three years, and. The museum is is on their hit list every time, so that that's really um, good good news for their grandpa and I. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You say your life, and I'll I'll quote you here: your life was weighed down by schedules and responsibilities, with little time to reflect on your purpose in the world. Did you get a sense something was missing? And how long had you had the feeling? I suppose I, that I ought to be reflecting on my purpose in the world. Um, I think for me, it's always been sort of a search. Um, with I'm, I belong to the United Church of Canada. Um, we go to Knox United Church here, and um, I've always kind of wondered about, you know, how deep do I really feel my 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 Christianity. Or, or am I just sort of playing at this? Um, and when I um, think about my purpose, I start to wonder: Well, am I so? Am I putting? Am I putting my energies in the right place, or am I too busy just, you know, checking off boxes and getting the list done, and working and housekeeping and uh, taking care of the yard and and all of this sort of? And, and is there something? missing that I am not fulfilling. And um, my husband has MS and is, is highly reliant on me for, for doing things. Uh, so that, that takes a, a huge amount of my time. So basically I found my life had sort of evolved into working full time and coming home and looking after my husband, my house, my yard, things like that. And I was worried that I was possibly putting the wrong things on the front burners and the wrong things on the back burner, if you get my idea. Yeah, sure. Sure. Golly, that's a great answer. So you mentioned that you're religious. Religion plays a big part in your life, but what about spirituality? Would you regard yourself as a spiritual person? Um, I would think so. Um, I I guess everybody has a different idea of what spirituality is. Um, I feel a great connection with um, other people in the world. Mm. Um, I've feel a need to connect with people um and i really really enjoy speaking with people and and exploring how their life is i my favorite genre of reading is historical fiction because i i love reading about how how people came to the point where they are yeah and there's a lot of different spiritual aspects in that it's not just all you know um facts and figures and things like that, the way people have evolved, the way societies have evolved, has very um, distinct spiritual background. And I love exploring that. And and I would say that's where my spirituality is. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great answer. You know, tell us about the Camino's call. And we touched on earlier about how you discovered the Camino and then you did a lot of research about it. But tell us about the Camino's call and then managing um, the, your expectations of, of your responsibilities at home with your husband because you, you, mm. that must have been a very difficult decision to make. Um, you say you, your primary care of somebody with multiple sclerosis is not something you can walk away from, I wouldn't have thought. Take us through no, that. No, can you it, tell us that story? Yeah. Uh, I, I could never have done the Camino if I didn't have my husband's 110% support on it because I could never have left him behind without knowing that this was something that he was also invested in. Um, in order for me to go, I, I started planning the Camino a year in advance of us going. And we had some very practical things that had to be dealt with. Like we had to, um, I would lift my husband's wheelchair in and out, like it's an electric wheelchair, a small one. And I would break it down and lift it in and out of the car in order to, to take him places and go places. And I knew if I was not going to be there, 
um, the people who live around us would not maybe be strong enough to do that. So he'd sort of be locked into position. So one of the first things we did is we had a lift installed in our in our van so that he could move independently while I was gone. And then, of course, we had to I had to make sure that there was a, a housekeeper would come and do he's able to go in the in, around the house in his wheelchair and, and make small meals and and do light housekeeping. But, you know, the heavy lifting, like changing beds and things like that. I had to book somebody to come in and do that and then somebody to look after the lawn. And we also had um, a, a roster of visiting people um, so that he would never be any more alone than he wanted to be. I couldn't have stepped out on this journey without knowing that all those things were taken care of. Even then, it was very, very hard to leave him behind yeah. at the airport. Um, one of those moments like, don't look back, don't look back. <laughs> <laughs> It was funny because even the day that I left, we were sitting in the airport and I was traveling by Air France and I got an alert that there was a transportation strike, a rotating transportation strike happening in France. And I was instantly panicked and my husband says, don't go, don't worry, you're just going to go. You'll get there. If you can't land in Paris, they'll divert the plane somewhere else. This is what we got insurance for. Calm down. I mean, even... (laughs) <laughs> when I was down there, he was there. That's so, so great. He's and, an amazing. Yeah, and, and yeah, he's and amazing. It's great to think, yeah. Roxy, that all of those people, uh, the local community, coming on the roster to check in on your husband, your husband as well, and your family. You were kind of doing their Camino too, weren't you? You were kind of walking on their behalf, in a sense. Well, definitely walking on behalf of my husband. Um, and, and I think that was probably one of my greatest sadnesses is that we couldn't do that together because we've done everything together since we got married. Um, there's a lot of people who um, were avidly watching my Camino and uh, um, a lot of people with a lot of questions when I got back. Um, and a few of the people that I've talked to have stepped out on their own Camino. So it's nice to know. And I mean, that was one of the motivators of me writing the book is to provide information for other people and encouragement for other people to take their own Camino. Yeah. You say a bit that before you went, though, you pursued information on the pearls and pitfalls, little things to watch out for and the big things not to miss. So tell us about that research. And did you have a a concrete agenda? Were you a spreadsheet pilgrim? Did you know exactly where you're going to be each day? Or did you just let it flow? What I I did is I used John Briarley's um, Pilgrim's Guide to the Camino um, to sort of guide my way. But um, I have never traveled by myself before. This was a huge undertaking for me to step out and travel by myself in a country where I didn't know the language. Um, I had never been to Spain before. So I was, I was pretty nervous about it. And by the time I had reached, by the time I reached St. jean de port um, for the beginning of my Camino, I had probably been traveling about 26 hours. So I was also pretty tired. So a little bit overwhelmed, but I was determined to do this by myself and just to leave my space, myself space to let whatever was going to happen, happen. Mm. So I had, I had a guideline and I knew where there were places to stay, but my personal agenda was to walk until I didn't want to walk anymore and then find a place to stay. Right. Okay. So, so how far did you walk on average each day? Do you think? Uh, probably about 22 kilometers. So um, I took a little longer than John Briarley's guide because um, like some people, for instance, will walk the walk and they will take a rest day. And I found it was easier for me rather than stopping for any extended period of time to take shorter days to break the trip into more pieces so that I could spend. I didn't just want to get somewhere and chalk and check it off like a laundry list. I wanted to get somewhere and then be able to walk around and explore things, talk to people, things like that. And so it took you about 40 days then? Uh, about 37 days all right. together. Okay. Um, uh, and then I spent three days in Santiago before I left Spain. 
You know, uh, your book is called To Each Their Own Camino. And you mm-hmm. say it's, it's a vision of entertaining and informing future pilgrims as they prepare to make their own journey along the Camino, as well as allowing past pilgrims to rel- relive their own Caminos. So was it difficult to put into words what you felt on the Camino? No, no it wasn't. It wasn't difficult to write the book at all. It took me about four months to write it. And when I started to work with um, a publisher on it, I had to I had to take out a third of what I had written just to make it a reasonable size book. Wow. Because I, I guess I write like I talk. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just flows. What can I say? It just flows. <laughs> so it wasn't difficult. And, you know, um, that was in 2016, and every time I tell people about it, I feel I feel it's new all over again, and I feel excited by it every single time. And and the words just flow, and the stories just flow, and I just love to share the stories with people. Yeah, when I think back to the first time I stepped on the Camino, it was in Sahun, the halfway point of the Camino Francis, and I was just thrilled. I was absolutely bursting with excitement. How do you, Roxy, describe the energy of the Camino to those people who talk about it when you come home? You know, there's no way that anybody who doesn't do it can really experience it. Mm. It is, I mean, they can, it's just really no way to describe how you feel like you're part of a group, all moving together, but moving separately and the lives that thread in and out of your days, it's, it's so fun because you're walking and you meet somebody and you have a connection with that person and then they turn left and you turn right or they stop and tie their shoe and you walk on and you don't see them for three or four days and then you see them suddenly again and it's like discovering long lost relatives. Yeah. And when you arrive in Santiago, it's like a big family reunion. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, it sure is. It is amazing. And the the title of the book, as I said, is To Each Their Own Camino. Let me ask you this, Roxy. Is the Camino for everyone? Um, I think everybody could do it in some regard. Um, people, people who I walked with, there was people who... Um, have no religious inclination. I walked with one woman from Belgium who said she can only see, she can only believe in what she can see and what she can touch. And I walked with her for about 10 days and we actually walked into Opedruzo, the last stop before Santiago. And we were at a service there and priest called all of the pilgrims up to the front and we're surrounded by the townspeople and they're encouraging us to come up to the front and um we're all crowding around the altar and, and even people who don't have any religious um practice sort of have an honor for an altar in a church so nobody really wanted to touch the altar but the priest kept calling us closer and closer and closer so that at one point there was no choice for it. Everybody is crammed right up against the the altar. And he started to talk to us about how um, tomorrow we're going to walk into Santiago and it's the end of your journey. And some of you started this journey expecting some great miracle or some great solution to a problem or some great aha moment. And maybe you haven't had that yet. But not to be discouraged by that because the Camino continues working in you for the rest of your life. And I looked over at Katerina and she had tears running down her face. And that was just such a powerful moment for me. Yeah. Because I realized that the power of the Camino had reached her. Yeah, great story. I love Opadrizzo. That's a a beautiful place. It's, um, It's a really lovely part of the world. Oh, gosh, I've got to get back. Anyway, your bio, Roxy, says... During my journey to Santiago, I experienced climbs and descents that challenged my endurance, ancient towns and historical landmarks that excited my imagination, and endless plains and stretches of solitude that tested my soul. 
I bent against blinding snow and pummeling winds, endured drenching rains and basked in brilliant sunshine. My steps led over rocky trails, through whispering forests, among dancing grasslands and through bustling cosmopolitan cities and crumbling towns. I love that. It's so beautifully written. (laughs) And it sums up in a way, in one paragraph, kind of what it feels like. But when you read it on the page, you think, oh, it, it, it kind of conjures up that feeling that, that, that you get and you want. And, and the question I wanted to follow that with is, how do you keep the Camino flame burning at home? Um, you know, and, and you're not, you're still looking after your husband, I assume, and, and you're still, you know, grandma and, and all the rest of it. How do you keep that Camino flame burning? just so that you can keep those wonderful experiences, as you said in that paragraph, alive? Well, for me, a lot of it was the writing of this book. Yeah. Um, And also, I am in daily contact through WhatsApp with at least five other people that I walked on the Camino with. Um, We are um, celebrating each other's family life together. You know, there's so many times when you'll be on a holiday or something and you'll exchange names and numbers with somebody and you say, oh, we'll get together one day or whatever like that. And and that never happens. Um, but this group of people who I ended my journey with, because as I said, I started to walk alone and I planned yeah. to walk alone, but yeah. people always seem to attach themselves to you. And towards the end, there was five of us walking together. And even if we walk side by side, we sort of honored each other's need for privacy and we didn't necessarily talk but we all what we call nested together at night we found the same places to stay and um so i keep my love of the camino they are all in europe so they have walked more camino since this camino Mm. um it's easier for people who are on that side of the globe it takes me nine hours just to get to paris um so it's, it's, it's easier, and a lot of people over in Europe walk frequently, some of them even annually, um, the Camino. And so to read of their stories and to look at their pictures and go, yeah, we were there, we were there, um, that keeps it alive for me. And talking to um, different service groups and uh, uh, do, just talking to different people about the Camino, it's like like this big family that is spread out through the world that have all had their feet on the same piece of pavement. And that's a connection for us all. And no matter where you go in the world, you have that connection with all of these people. What's one word you'd use to sum up the Camino? Hmm, That's a tricky one. (laughs) Um, I would have to say renewing. Renewing. Your poetry features on yes. your website, roxyedwards.ca. Roxy with an E-Y, R-O-X-E-Y, edwards.ca. And I'll read one of the poems to close the podcast. But did you, okay. write, did you write while you were on the Camino? Um, just take us through I, Ro- I Roxy only, Edwards' writing process. I only, um, okay, I wrote one poem before I left. I wrote one for one of the one of the people that we walked with was eight months old. Um, a young family from Germany who every year walks the Camino decided that having an eight-month-old daughter didn't mean it had to stop. So she was my Camino, Camino Bambino. Yeah. And I wrote a poem for her during the journey. But other than that, on the journey, um, I only wrote a journal. But when I was leaving Santiago and I saw incoming pilgrims, a new poem started to blossom in my head. And by the time we were taking off from Madrid, I had another poem written. So, yeah. Even though you write all the time, this is your first book. What form does your writing take as a rule if this is your first book? Were you taking notes on the Camino and or, or you were writing short stories and then it all formed one book at the end? Take us through that process. Um, actually, the book is the result of about 1,400 pictures. <laughs> wow. Um, and, and a good memory. Um, I have, I'm, I'm very technically challenged, believe it or not. 
Um, the fact that I have a, a website is amazing to me because um, when I left on the Camino, I'd never even had a cell phone. Um, but the cell phone was great because it kept me in touch with my family and it um, provided me the opportunity to take a lot of pictures. So anything that I had forgotten, I was able to um, refresh my memory when, in writing the book with the pictures. And of course, the pictures in chronological order. So that helped me keep everything straight. My my reason for taking so many pictures was to bring my pilgrimage home to my husband. He couldn't go, but I wanted him to see everything he could have seen. And um, it just evolved into a book. It just like I, it, the words, as I said, it just flowed. And, and, and I had to actually limit what I was writing. I was so full of words about this, about the Camino. Yeah. I love that, that you were taking the pictures so that your husband could really live it with you when you got back. That's a lovely story. That's a really beautiful mm-hmm. image too. And I often say the best part of the Camino is the people. Well, you sum it up like this. Ordinary people living ordinary lives, suddenly stepping out onto an extraordinary journey. We shared food, wine, and bunk rooms. Through laughter and tears, we broke down barriers of language, religion, and nationality. Strangers became friends, and friends became family. Some just for a day or two, some for a lifetime. The Camino has grown in popularity each year, and it's been around for thousands of years and will continue to exist forever. But as I say, the Camino for me is the people, and you write about the people you met. You just touched on it a moment ago, but I want to get the full story about the Camino Bambino. Ah, okay. So that's baby Irma. I met, um, I was in Lyon, and I was in the square by the cathedral, and I had, was talking to another man and we were commenting on the Spanish children, how well turned out they looked and they were with their grandparents and behaving so well. And, and I said, I just wonder what it would be like to do a Camino with uh, a baby. And all of a sudden this voice popped up behind me and here was Esther from Germany. And she said her husband was at this point in the albergue with their eight month old daughter and uh, they were having a, a rest and And uh, she started to give me some information about different places to stay because, as I said, they had done the Camino every year. Um, This is their annual trek. And sometimes they would do it from start to finish. Sometimes they would take a different approach because there's many different ways to do the Camino, different routes. Um, And sometimes they would start at a certain, like, for instance, on on this journey, they started in Pamplona because they didn't want to be carrying the baby over the Pyrenees Mountains, which is where you have to go, as you know, when you leave um, St. Jean Pedipore. Yeah. So they started in Pamplona, and by the time I met them, they had been on the road all the way to Lyon. So um, it was interesting. They had to, um, when you're traveling with a baby, um, you you have to sort of book places to be, because most albergues will not allow infants, because A, they can't give enough privacy for the infant and B, if the infant is making noise, it's going to disturb the other pilgrims who need their rest for the next day's journey. So they always had to book ahead. And um, one of the reasons I titled my book to each their own Camino is, is that if you can't walk the whole distance, you can start at any point on the Camino. As long as you do your last 100 kilometers, you're still going to get your Compostela, which is a certificate you get at the end. And if, you're, if, if like Katrina, you don't, your legs won't allow you to or your back won't allow you to carry your pack, you can send that on by um, a courier on ahead. We call calling porting your pack. Um, and this is what Andy and Esther had to do with the baby things for Irma, is they would port her baby things forward to the next town. So Andy would carry Esther on, uh, Irma, sorry, Andy would carry Irma on his front and a small pack to, to balance on the back. And the baby things would go ahead to the next town. And that's how they did it. And when we got to Santiago, we separated a couple of times through the rest of that journey. Um, but when we got to, to uh, Santiago, we contacted each other by cell phone and we all got together for a little reunion. Oh, lovely. What a great mm-hmm. story. And, and the little baby will know 
that she's done the Camino perhaps even a handful of times before she realizes what's going on. Well, and she has a baby brother now too, so. All right. Oh, that's fantastic. What a great story. You know, Roxy, I've said here before that Australians and Canadians and Brits and Americans, indeed most of us, lead very pampered lives. We don't really wish for much. Could it be that we're all in search of a simpler life and the pilgrim's life provides that in a way? I think I think that really could be. Um, for my husband and I, our favorite holiday is camping. And when we say camping, we're not talking about a motorhome with a uh, microwave oven and washer and dryer and television. We camp in a small tent. Um, when it, as a matter of fact, we just finished um, camping our way across Canada and back this summer. And it took us 97 days and we covered... Uh, 19,250 kilometers. Wow. wow. But we were parking besides people with these mammoth motorhomes and things like that. And it was so funny because one time we were parking, we were in Saskatchewan, we were parked next to this great big huge motorhome. And this person comes out of the motorhome and says, do you have a can opener? And we <laughs> couldn't do anything but laugh because here we are, we have simplified camping right down to we're cooking on a gas stove out on the picnic table sort of a thing. And if it rains, we're getting wet, you know, Um, we've simplified it to that point, including having somebody in a wheelchair. Yeah. And then other people out there who have supposedly everything, but are missing the most basic and basic elements. <laughs> they never can open up. That's amazing. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, if just carrying a few things in a backpack or in the back of the car and heading off on a pilgrimage can be a very humbling experience. What did you learn about yourself on the Camino, Roxy? Um, I fight with being very much a person who needs to be in control of everything that's happening. Mm. And this was probably one of my main motivations to take the Camino was to um, surrender my days to a higher power and just to trust that I am being held and I will be taken care of and that I don't need to control everything. And just to sort of go with the flow, because I, although I'm very good at adapting when things change, you have to be when you have a disabled person in your world. Um, I still like to be in control. And sometimes when you live your whole life being in control, you really need to let go of that control and have some faith that you are still going to be okay, even though you're not in the driver's seat. Yeah. That's that's a great message, and I'm going to read one of your poems at the end of the podcast, as I said earlier, and you write to say how much you're going to miss your loved ones at home. And you say, the time is now, this time for me, to set my wandering spirit free. Did you manage, do you think, to set the wandering spirit free? I think I did, and, and that's important that, that people understand the word is wandering spirit, not wandering spirit, yeah. because it's not so much that my spirit wanders, but I'm a very curious person, and, and I, I needed to let my wandering spirit free and, and let my spirit find different ways to look at the world, different, as I said, a form of trusting in God, like right up to the very last minute when all of a sudden I was going through French customs to fly home and I hit this wall and people's people, there were so many people in customs that planes were leaving without their passengers. And I just, people around me were losing their minds um, because they knew they were going to miss their plane. And I thought, you know, God has carried me this far. God has carried me all the way across Spain and back safely. Am I going to lose faith at this moment and just sort of let myself go right there in the airport and reasserted that faith that that I was going to be taken care of one way or another. I'm getting home and everything worked out fine. I basically walked right onto the plane and into my seat and we took off. (laughs) Some people might not feel comfortable setting 
their wandering spirit free. But we spoke earlier about what you learned about yourself, and now we've talked about what you set out and hope to achieve. What did you learn about others, Roxy, on the Camino? Um, I've learned that people are basically good, and I think I don't know if it is because um, northern Spain relies so heavily on the um, Camino, but I found a welcome and I found a sense of security in that area. And a lot of people have asked me, you know, did you feel at risk at all, a woman traveling alone in a foreign country? And I didn't. And um, I don't know whether it's because I am very open to trust people and therefore they respond by being trustworthy or whether, you know, there's lots of times that um, you hear from people that you, you can't trust people in the world and that you you have to always be on your guard. And I found that not so on the Camino. Um, I found that people were willing to help. Uh, people were uh, looking after total strangers. Uh, when I say people, I don't mean just at the places we stopped. I mean along the way. You know, somebody would would break a shoelace. Somebody else would loan a shoelace. Um, somebody was having trouble walking, somebody would take their pack and shoulder their pack and, and walk with them. Um, I find, I think that people are basically good. And I think that we have to uh, probably let down some of our, our guards a little and, and, and step out in faith that, that people are good and that um, it's, it's worth opening yourselves to those people and letting learning more about them and, and letting your days unfold in such a way that um, you open yourself to people. It's, it's the basis, really, of your book, To Each Their Own Camino, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Isn't it? The, the, yeah. The collective Camino. And the thing is, there's no right way or wrong way, and that's why I call it to each their own Camino. You know, there's so many different ways to do it. There's different you can you can stay in hostels, you can stay in hotels, you can stay in tents, you can walk 25 kilometers a day, you can walk 30 kilometers a day. There's no right way. You can carry your pack, you don't have to carry your pack. Um, towards the end of the Camino, um, as I said earlier, if you walk the last 100 kilometers... Um, there you you earn your Compostela. So there's a lot of speci- specifically Spanish people jump on the Camino for those last hundred kilometers, um, and just they can they can basically do it in a four day weekend. And so the um, mood of the Camino changes a little bit for those last hundred kilometers. It gets busier, it gets more populated, and and such. But there's still this feeling of community, even though they've just. It's so funny. It's it's like the people who've been doing the Camino since the beginning sort of roll their eyes at the the newbies on board. And and uh, very, very shortly after that part starts, you see the, the Camino people who have been going for days and days just sort of absorb these new people. And it's like they've been there the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, to each their own Camino. Your website, Roxy, also has a guide for packing, which is very, very good. Can I just ask you for a tip for an aspiring pilgrim if they're thinking of going and they're waiting to or almost about to start packing their bag? What's a quick tip? Uh, Take something to hang over shower walls to keep your clothes dry. Ah. Um, Many times when when I was staying in in albergues, or hostels, um, there there would be a minimal shower, and so you would be in there with your dry clothes. Your dirt, you peel off your dirty clothes, have your shower, and put on your dry clothes, all in the same place. And there might not be there there would probably not be a bench to put things on, and there might not even be a hook. So that's something I would say is, is take along one of those little plastic hooks or a small bungee cord so that you can hang things and keep them dry while you're changing. What would you say to someone thinking of walking the Camino de Santiago? Uh, Do a little bit of research and train. Because I saw a lot of people um, who had to go home partway because they were 
tearing tendons. They were tearing um, arches in their foot. Their feet were too badly blistered. Um, they hurt their shoulder from carrying too much in their pack, things like that. So, so I trained with a full pack a fair amount. Um, I would put weights in my pack and, and walk around um, the area around our town. I walked um, probably 14 kilometer training days. So do your training because in as much as um, Hape Kerpeling's book says I'm off, uh, I have a hard time believing that somebody can just arrive at the beginning of the, the Camino with a full pack and do the full Camino easily. You know, it's something you have to get your body ready for. Yeah. For that, me, it was even just the change in altitude was a, di a significant difference for me. Yeah. Good advice. Good advice. Oh, Roxy, I'm so mm -hmm. pleased I was able to capture the wandering spirit for an hour. Uh, you on one side of the world, me down under. Um, congratulations mm -hmm. on the book to each their own Camino and long may you walk a path of discovery and inspiration. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking with you. Congratulations you. on the book and the poetry and thank you very much for your time. Can I say buen Camino? Buen Camino. My guest this week was the Canadian author and pilgrim, Roxy Edwards, and you can find Roxy's book and poetry via her website, roxyedwards.ca, R-O-X-E-Y-E-D-W-A-R-D-S dot C-A. One of the poems on the website is, As I Walk in the Field of Stars. The pilgrimage starts at home, before I'm out there, on my own, before the airplanes and iron rails, before my first step on the trail. I pack my bag and say goodbye, torn by excitement and the urge to cry. I'll miss you all, each in your way, as I journey for many days. The time is now, this time for me, to set my wandering spirit free, to ask some questions, take time to hear the thoughts revealed, the message clear. Quiet reflection upon my life, the wondrous joys and painful strife. There will be days I'll shed some tears and take the chance to release some fears. God's gifts of love and strength to care, to seek right and kindness everywhere. He'll guide each step and fill my soul as I journey toward my goal. While I travel the path with care, I'll hold your names in my prayers, when meeting people in far-off places, I'll be remembering all your faces. I'll keep my stories with you to share when journey ends and I am there. And when I travel home to you, I'll be ready to start life renewed. Roxy Edwards, as I walk in the field of stars. Remember, Phil Cousineau, the American writer and scholar, once wrote, Pilgrimage is a powerful metaphor for any journey with the purpose of finding something that matters deeply to the traveller. Walk on, pilgrims. Now, I've decided to feature a song off my album Duende each week for the next 11 weeks. This week, it's a song called I Saw You Mary. I walked from Lourdes to Santiago in 2017. I left as the basilica rang four bells, and I remember St Mary looking down at me from atop the grotto. She looked kind of sad. I saw the very same face at the top of the Pyrenees walking from St Jean-Pied-de-Port about eight days later. That same face. I saw you, Mary.
Thanks for your company this week and every week. You can download the album from my website, danmullinsmusic.com. There are 156 episodes of the podcast, and I've loved every minute of it. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino.